0: The last episode was all about where you want to be, your mission, your vision, and your values that underpin these. The next step is to work out how to get there. Welcome to episode 129 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. This episode is about your strategic objectives, how you get from where you are at the moment to where you want to be. Here's John Peterson of Best Practice with more.
1: From the top down, what's critical about mission, vision and values is we are creating a corporate or a commercial version of our very own personalised why. Why we do what we do, why we get out of bed, what we're striving to become. Our mission, vision, values takes that personal perspective and turns it into something that we can believe in as a team or a company, a business, and people can follow that. We need to have effective communication of our focal points and objectives. If we want to be a great leader or if we want to attract people that are are outstanding to follow us, we need those things. However, to have your mission, vision, and values on a banner or on your website or printed on the wall is wonderful. It's a whole other thing entirely to then be able to create the practical and tangible measures that are, in fact, moving towards achieving and realizing those holistic references. In other words, what are the KPIs? What are the milestones, the step-by-step progressive achievements that as you arrive at them and having achieved those, you progressively moving towards the attainment of success as defined in your mission, vision and values. Strategic objectives become the practical reference points. And of course, the accountants love to get this practical reference because it gives us some tangibility around our progress towards our own definitions of success Essentially, they're the measurement process for your entire journey towards business mastery and they provide practical ways to assess your progress. So what are strategic objectives? Well, they can be as whatever you want them to be. However, there's probably a reasonable definition of those things that we need to focus on. What do we mean by that? Understanding your profit margins, That you want to achieve or sustain and maintain through the life of your business, which is often challenging in the growth cycle when you're reinvesting capital to grow, your actual annual revenue turnover, your gross revenue. What should that be every one year from now, three years, five years from now?
0: So, gross revenue is the increase in revenue, correct?
1: We could define the two separately by saying one's your turnover per annum every year, and one's the margin or the profit. Pre tax income or gross profit before all earnings and tax, or EBITDA, earnings before interest and in tax. So one's your turnover, and the other one is profit after costs, if you like, is the way to look at it. So these are clear measures. Some other clear strategic objectives are the cash buffer that your business builds up, or cash reserves that your business builds up, so that you have a fund for a rainy day. Now, the rainy day could be a downturn in cash flow, an illness that stops you from invoicing, could be a loss of a significant team member that was an income-producing person. It could also be, as the Fortune 500 companies refer to it, as a war chest, a fund for being acquisitive and looking for acquisitions when the opportunity presents. No money to do that, no ability to acquire a competitor if or another practice if the opportunity came up. Often the references that we hear about at 13 weeks or three months insolvency experts suggest 13 weeks of trading capability in a surplus cash buffer account is in fact the ideal uh, KPI or strategic objective for a cash buffer. At first, that sounds a little overwhelming because if you work out your cash burn rate every day, on a half a million dollar business, working a five-day week, when we work out approximately 220 billable days per year to generate invoicing, that per day rate to just generate survival and maintain your current turnover might be something like $3,000 per day. And in fact, if we do those numbers, I can do them very quickly for us right now, $2,272 $0.72 would be a half a million dollar turnover broken down into 220 recoverable days per annum. Now, if we wanted to grow that business, obviously, to $600,000, then we'd be up for $2,727 a day and $0.27. A $500 a day increase would lead to a $100,000 per annum gross turnover increase for the year. So what about that cash buffer? The daily cash burn rate in those two examples, 2,200 or 2,700, if we then looked at 60 days, approximately 20 billable days per month, we could multiply that 2,700 by 60 days, which would give us a 13-week or three-month approximation of $163,636. So a cash buffer at first can seem a bit overwhelming. It's a big number relative to a quarter of your year's gross revenue. But we don't have to start out that way. We can start out with a notional transfer per day, set it up on autopilot, something that we don't even pay too much attention to, and then slowly, as we become more profitable, we can increase that surplus. So gross annual target for turnover, a profit target for turnover, a cash buffer, and the next strategic one, of course, is your marketing budget very few accountants have marketing budgets probably fewer than the average SME market Google head office in Australia tell us that less than 10% of SMEs have a fixed marketing budget as part of their turnover and of course the statistics that I published in my book from the Australian Bureau of Statistics was that around 90 to 92% of all small businesses do not celebrate their 11th anniversary in the same trading entity for they have failed or gone broke in that time frame at some point so if 90% are failing and only 10% have a marketing budget that's an important example of strategic objectives that have a massive influence on success or failure another one of course is the organizational structure if we want to build a scalable business, then 80% of what we do needs to be done by somebody else 100% of the time. To achieve that, we need to design or draw, draft an org chart, an organization chart that shows some structure to where the work will be distributed and done. The leader, the manager, and the employee. So ideally, three levels should be designed into every business in those strategic objectives and an organization chart should be drawn as well. And again, that chart should be drafted for one year from now, three years from now and five years from now, allowing the business owner or the accounting practice owner as well to define what it may look like as the business grows so they can see how their role will change and evolve through that structure as the structure matures and brings more scale and capacity to the life of the principle of that business.
0: The organisation chart is actually broken down into three parts. At the very top is labelled finder, then in the middle is minder, and then down the bottom is grinder. And I like that because it shows where the work actually should be done. The grinding work should be done in the lower third The finder at the very top is basically just the business acquisition, business development, and then the minder in the middle just pulls it all together. Is that right?
1: Whilst the terminology sounds a little politically incorrect, we use that finder, minder, grinder example to highlight the need to think and act as a business owner rather than somebody who is self-employed and is wearing themselves out, burning themselves out, doing all the work themselves. The other element, too, with that organisation chart is it also helps us to understand the middle level. So the minder level would be the most misunderstood level and, in fact, causes the biggest issues when you grow the business because it's not necessarily the minder's fault. If we recruit or promote somebody into the minder's role who actually doesn't manage the business well for us, whose fault is that? Is it the incompetent person that we've appointed to that position? Or is it, in fact, our own mistake to hire or promote a person that can't deliver the job that we need them to do? So often, more often than not, the minder level or the manager level inside an accounting practice is an overpaid grinder it's somebody that has been promoted through tenure they've been there a long period of time they've earned through simply hanging around and staying employed by that organization they've earned a promotion they're often technical they're often not a people person they lack leadership and personality communication skills they keep all the complex work for themselves and they actually continue to be an overpaid grinder and work on the challenging projects stifling the growth ambition and opportunity for knowledge transfer to younger up-and-coming accountants in the team or any other accountant in the team for that matter so the grinder level needs to be considered as a talent factory in your strategic objectives producing future minders future client leaders client managers and team leaders but coming from the shop floor or the factory floor so to speak as you rightfully pointed out, being the grinders. So if the work is done at the grinder level, then mentoring and project management supervision is done at the minder level, not the work. And this is a massive distinction for the accounting industry to really build a better small business.
0: I really like this distinction between finder, minder and grinder because when you start out, you're all three and so to grow your objective really needs to be to slowly move out of the grinder position more into the minder and then to fill out more and more the role of the finder and less and less the grinder and minder. I think personality comes into this big time. I think we all have good technical skills. We all have been at the grinder position, but to grow our business, it's really hard to move into the finder position. That's really You're absolutely the big right.
1: So what it? tends to happen is that accountants, particularly as an industry or a profession, don't regard themselves as natural marketing and sales experts, which is quite reasonable and quite easy to appreciate. The profession mitigates risk for its clients. That's the nature of the historical product of compliance. It's to make sure that your clients as an accountant are not breaking the law, missing their deadlines in terms of their compliance. So if you professionally mitigate risk for a living, you are not necessarily automatically then going to be a great rainmaker and great finder. It's the minority of personalities that tend to be both. What we're looking for, though, is an appreciation of roles and responsibilities, because when we see young or startup accountancy firms, we often find that there is a much better focus or level of effectiveness around new business development or new client acquisition when that's the pure focus of the accountant in startup mode. So when all you're doing is spending 90% of your time running around pitching for clients, asking for referrals, is it any wonder that you have some success? Of course, that makes sense. As we spend less and less time in the acquisition mode and mindset and more and more time in the client services delivery mode where we have some clients to look after the balancing of that time has shifted towards retention and servicing which is again is logical so the dynamic of dividing the two roles is often the biggest issue and that's when looking again at the finder the minder and the grinder's responsibilities can be demarcated for much greater focus many many years ago the first examples of this came out of the uk so we first saw this happening in in legal recruitment industries and accounting and they were literally setting up business development teams separate to the teams that managed the actual work itself so we can understand the purpose of that when we talk about these topics inside your strategic objectives we really want to understand that those roles will evolve and we need to actually build a business development plan for the finder and the finder's role can evolve. And I had a great example years ago of a two partner firm. They had literally graduated together uh, in terms of their accounting qualification, started their own practice together as partners at a young age in in their mid twenties and then worked for 20 years together came to me for mentorship, and they were starting to have a bit like what you might have in the breakdown of a marriage. They were starting to distrust the union of their business partnership and challenge the status quo around who was more valuable, the finder or the minder. And it was quite an amazing dichotomy because they were unable to see without some guidance their unique reliance on each other and just how important those two separate roles were. The finder was confiding in me and asking me for endorsement to sign off on paying the finder more money and more profit distribution, more salary and profit for their role in generating new business. And the finder was failing to recognize that the minder, in fact, was managing a team of 28 people, a revenue of $5 million per annum in gross revenue, all the HR issues and all of the workflow as well. In other words, the finder had a pretty darn good deal and that structuring rediscovering the review of that structure allowed them to go on for many many years thereafter and that business has gone beyond 10 million per annum these days so and it's a very high profile business by the way in the workbooks that we have that we've authored for our accountants around strategic objectives On page 12 of that workbook, we actually give you an organization chart of a mature business. And it shows as that accountancy firm grows, it actually has multiple revenue divisions, which make it quite sizable and quite a reasonable business. But of course, it started out quite small once and only had A small team initially. But that shows the beauty of defining, drafting, drawing your organization chart one year out, three years out and five years out from now, because you can actually see the progression that will happen before your very eyes. And this is the virtues of strategic objectives. It's bringing your mission, vision and values to life in a practical way, in a tangible, measurable and very understandable way, rather than risk having your MVV criticised for being airy-fairy and having no tangible references to success.
0: To move from a grinder to a finder, do you think it's just go out there, try, try again, try again, slowly work out what you're doing wrong? And I ask that because I think many accountants have the personality to be a grinder. I think a lot of us have an introvert in us. We are very happy working with numbers, etc. There are some that never really fitted well into the grinder role and just immediately move closer to a finder role. And are like fish in water once they are in the finder role. But do you think as a gendered personality trait of our industry, most of us naturally are more grinders and we really have to push ourselves to move to a finder role?
1: Absolutely. And in fact, one of the things that we teach in our time management methodology is to redesign the calendar, the daily calendar, the weekly calendar, redesign that. And one of the the productivity training and calendar management tools that we have teaches accountants to basically spend four hours a day, typically between 11 and three on their finder duties or at least learning during that time, investigating a bit of R&D, so to speak, trial and error, as you pointed out to be. You've got to allocate the time in the diary to actually explore what that means. Now, there are many effective tools and techniques that can help accountants to discover that they're not as shabby in the finder role as they first thought, okay? There's many, many powerful tools and resources and training systems that are accessible for accountants that think that they're great at grinding away at the work but not so good at at the finder role. And I think that what we've seen over the years is every networking brand like BNI, Business Networks International, there's always an accountant and a mortgage broker and a lawyer in every single chapter of those geographically dispersed networking groups. Why is that? Well, it's one way to at least get out in the market. It may not be a massively fluent lead generator for an accountant who just turns up and doesn't really work the room and build relationships, but it's still a focal point with the external world. So it's understanding and learning and allocating the time that will lead to an accountant developing better skills. Yes, sure, some are better than others and find a role, but it's not an impossible task by any means. And accountants should not discourage themselves through, dare I say, negative self-talk, Heidi. They should actually explore what's possible and they might surprise themselves. Finally, there are two more really important topics that I think need to cover in a separate session. They're so significant and they are succession planning and work-life balance for the principles of an accounting firm. These pieces of knowledge are so important because if the accountant can learn these things and apply them to their own business, they become an incredibly valuable business advisor to be able to eyeball their own client base, particularly business clients, business owners, that they have as clients and say, well, I know how to do this, I've done this for myself, I will help you to do that. And that's a massive move into the world of business advisory. So I do think Heidi will need a separate session for that. They're quite significant topics that I don't want to brush over. And that's really carving out and defining the work-life balance that the business should afford us because it's a business we own rather than a business we work for. And that's the maturing of the accountancy firm is what we need to do to achieve that. And of course, the succession planning objectives and the multiple options that very few accountants are aware of, I really look forward to talking about in our next discussion.
0: Welcome back. So this episode covered five strategic objectives, your top line revenue, your profit, your cash buffer, leadership and marketing. In the next episode, episode 130, John Peterson will talk about two more strategic objectives, succession and work-life balance. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaas for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.